When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. Today, we're going to feature an interview with Mr. Daryl Anka, who is a channeler of Bashar. Bashar is a multidimensional being, believed as an alien. We don't really cover UFOs and aliens on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, and I'll explain why, because if you have that coast-to-coast AM and George Nori uh, does a phenomenal job. They explore that uh, every which way, shape, or form, and they do a great job. However, in Daryl's case, the information and the knowledge and the consciousness that is streaming from Bashar feels very aligned and similar to some of the uh, teachings of some of our great guests. So there's a lot of great information that comes out of this uh, interview today. I hope you enjoy it. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents an interview Mr. Daryl Anka, channeler of Bashar. Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show is Mr. Daryl Anka. He is a channeler for Bashar, and he's also a metaphysical teacher. We can learn more about him by going to his website at bashar.org. Mr. Anka, thank you so much, and welcome to the program. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey. So, you channel this being, Bashar. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this to do with your experience with the UFO when you were a child. Can you please talk about that experience and talk about what, what exactly happened and how this whole process began we started having communication sure absolutely but i wasn't a child it, it happened oh. when i was in my 30s okay and basically i had two very very close broad daylight ufo sightings first time <clears throat> about 150 feet away the second time only about 70 feet overhead both times a black equilateral triangle about 30 40 feet on a side after having had those experiences, I knew obviously that there were things going on we hadn't really been told about. I'd always obviously heard about UFO sightings, but you know, once you actually see something like that close up, it changes everything. So I really wanted to understand what was going on. I began doing a lot of research on the subject and eventually <clears throat> found my way through different metaphysical books, psychic functioning, channeling, and so on. <clears throat> and 10 years after the sightings, I was introduced to a channel who was holding seminars, and I went to listen for several months. And I thought, okay, you know, this is interesting information. It seems to have the ability to sort of have a bigger picture, a higher perspective, and help people make positive and constructive changes in their lives. And so after listening, the entity coming through that teacher offered to actually teach a channeling class. And I went into it. I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to become a channel. I was just furthering my research, but halfway through the course, which was a series of guided meditations to put you in touch with 
you know, whatever you wanted to get in touch with, your own higher mind, your own creativity. It didn't have to be another entity. But I received what I experienced as a sort of telepathic hit. And in one instant, a memory came back of having made an agreement to do this in this life with Bashar. I understood in that moment that the UFO had been shown to me on purpose to get me to start learning what I needed to learn so that when it came time to do the channeling, I would be better prepared. And the question that was in my head, along with Bashar's image and the word Bashar, was, you know, now it's time to begin if you still want to. Is this something you still want to do? It was offered as a choice. I had to think about this for a while because I didn't know if I was hallucinating or what was really going on. But at the moment this was happening in my head, the entity coming through the teacher immediately stopped talking to the class and turned right to me and said, there's an entity here for you if you're willing to begin. And I also glanced over and noticed that one of the other students had somehow picked up on the image of Bashar I saw in my head, and she was actually sketching it on a notebook. I immediately had, yeah, two outside validations that it wasn't just my imagination. So I said, okay, you know, let's see where this goes. And I, I kept practicing. I did well enough in the class that the teacher offered to allow me to teach the class, the next class, with him. And eventually a woman came along who was doing the first doctoral thesis on the connection between psychology and channeling. This was uh, Dr. Margot Chandley. And I became one of her subjects, and so she could write her thesis paper. And I would go to her house and channel for her friends, and she would take her notes. But word kind of spread. So first week was like five friends, and the next week was 10, and then 20, 30, 40. It started really growing. We had to do it twice a week, three times a week. We had to start renting hallways to to do it in auditoriums to do it. And then the word spread, and, and different cities and different countries started asking me to come and channel, and I've been doing this now for the past 33 years. That's kind of how it's it pretty, started. It's pretty amazing, and reading some of the teachings, Bashar, and reading about your life story, and want to know, did you ever feel in any way, shape, or form that Bashar was actually your higher self communicating through you, or is Bashar a separate entity? And if so, is Bashar an entity that you've had previous lifetimes with, that for this particular lifetime, you chose to be a person who's going to be teaching his life work, and in the next one, he's going to be channeling you. <laughs> well, the way it came through, I mean, let me say this first of all. <clears throat> I have no way of proving to anybody that Bashar is a separate entity from my own consciousness. It could be an aspect of my consciousness. But I have to take Bashar the way he comes through, and the way it does come through is he presents himself as an extraterrestrial entity. This is a telepathic connection, according to him. And in classical metaphysical terms, you could say he's one of my future lives and I'm one of his past lives. So it's the same soul in different lives, able to connect because of the abilities and perspective he has in that life. Okay, now, from where he is, for his essence... Has he already experienced a human life form? Is he beyond the evolution of humanity? Or is he going to be coming and taking on a form of a human being? I'm just kind of curious, is there any trajectory of, of evolution? Is he at a higher level? Yes, he has his own physicality, although his species is becoming less and less physical in their evolution. They do have a planet. They do have a civilization. But Bashar has explained that what they do <clears throat> when they attempt to make first contact with another civilization is the first contact specialists, such as Bashar, 
will always choose to have a life in that society so they can draw from the life experience and we won't be that alien to each other because he'll understand our perspective. So in having the past life as me or other past lives in our reality or other civilizations, it gives them the information they need to be capable of communicating with us. Okay. Now, is this happening all across the world? Are there other extraterrestrial entities that are seeking to communicate with humanity? And if so, what percentage of them would you say have harmful or positive intentions for humanity? I do believe there are many different attempts to communicate with humanity. I understand, and based on Bashar's perspective, yes, certainly there can be negative entities out there, just like there are negative people here. But my perception is that <clears throat> most, of the most of the connections being made are positive. And the idea is that in order for a real telepathic connection to happen in a fluid way, the energy has to be more positive than negative. It's not impossible for someone to sort of match the frequency of a negative entity and kind of represent their energy and their information in a negative way. But I typically find that most people who might be bringing through fear-based information are usually only in touch with a negative aspect of their own consciousness to a greater degree than they're actually in touch with another entity because of the nature of the mechanism of the telepathic connection. It's mostly something that only works when you're in a positive frame of energy. Have you ever found that there's any comparable difference or a way to decipher between an earthbound spirit of higher intelligence that is communicating through uh, a person or a being that is considered alien from not of this world? How can you see a difference? Um, well, the only thing I can say on the surface is how does the entity present itself? I mean, usually you'll get some idea <clears throat> from the entity itself as to what it's saying that it is. Now, from time to time, on very rare occasions, Bashar has helped to facilitate a connection to a spirit that may have passed on for some reason because a person needs to receive information from that, that spirit. And in having channeled long enough, I can tell the difference by feeling because Bashar has a very distinctly different, let's say, flavor or color to him and his energy than what I would consider to be a spirit of someone who used to be alive on Earth who has passed on. They just feel very different. And again, Bashar, like I said, actually has presented himself as an extraterrestrial being, whereas a lot of other channeled entities do present themselves either as disembodied spirits or a collection of non-physical consciousness or what have you. The entities will usually identify themselves in the way that they would like to be understood. Okay, and just curious, but uh, what is Bashar's perspective and your perspective from an outside race about the human race? Uh, are human beings, is the human race viewed as positive? Are they viewed as, you know, they have potential? Or is we viewed as, um, you know, cruel and evil and we need a lot of help? Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that just because we might need help that we're necessarily evil. But we are learning. And the idea, I think, from Bashar's perspective is, yes, we have a lot of evolving to do. Yes, we have a lot of growing to do. But 
that's as physical people who have forgotten their connection to spirit. From another level, he looks at us not so much like a kindergarten class, but as a master graduating class, because he understands that it's very tough here on Earth. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of dark. And we're attempting to transform this into the light. But from his perspective, it takes a very powerful spirit to be able to handle this degree of negativity and still seek the light. So to him, we're exercising a great deal of power in being here now at this time of transformation and turning the negative into positive or turning limitations into freedom. So that's kind of how he sees us, but he does understand that we need guidance and we need help because we can sort of get lost in ourselves here because in the negative energy that is here, it's easy to forget that we are powerful beings and that we all have a connection to source. So they're very happy to help guide us, but they can't do it for us. They can only share information that can work, but we're the ones that have to take the steps and take the action to make a difference. Okay. And my understanding is that this could be one of many evolutions, and this is the evolution where you have spirit joined with humanity. And my understanding is that human beings are no different. They're just an animal. When they say, or Bashara talks about, we need to help humanity, are you guys... Bashar is specifically addressing the need to help the collective soul group that is incarnating as human beings, or are they specifically talking about helping humanity, the animal, to evolve beyond its animalistic state and become more conscious and more aware of the spirit? Well, I would say both, because, again, the idea is that physical reality to them is just a projection of spirit. So when you're calling a human the animal, they understand that there's that physical side but they also understand that that physical animal side is still a projection of spirit. So in their mind, the idea is that it all goes up the ladder at the same time. If you can approach the human being from either the animal level or the spirit level or both, then you have the best opportunity for that being, the human being, to absorb the information on whatever level they're capable of absorbing it and applying it in a way that will elevate and raise the vibrational frequency of their being, both physical and non-physical. Okay, thank you. In our world, there's a lot of animal cruelty. They're currently having this, mm -hmm. like an example, this, this dog-eating festival in China. It just makes me sick to my stomach. And right. why does this have to happen? Why does there have to be so much darkness and cruelty <laughs> inflicted upon the animals? Because it seems like the animals... They're not making – they don't seem like they have a conscious decision and they choose to be evil or choose to be good. They just seem to be pure. So why do they have to suffer so needlessly? And is that cruelty eventually going to make its way out to the universe and back to humanity where there's going to be a species that presents itself to humanity that's going to prey upon humanity the same way animal, you know, human beings have preyed upon the animals? I think it's more than enough that we prey upon ourselves. I don't think any outside entity has to do it and probably can't do much more damage than we're doing to ourselves. So I don't know that that's necessarily the result. I think it's more of a self-created implosion than anything that would come from the outside. Nevertheless, um, Bashar has talked about this, and again, a lot of this behavior is an expression of us experiencing <clears throat> disconnection from our spirit, disconnection from our source. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a reverse of the golden rule. It's you will do to others what you're willing to do to yourself. So because we have issues of lack of self-worth, 
lack of self-empowerment, lack of self-validation, well, if we feel so down about ourselves, certainly nothing else in our eyes is going to be worth anything. And so, of course, we'll act out against things that we feel really aren't even as important as we are, and we don't even consider ourselves to be that important. And so, you know, however, at the same time, Bashar says it's not that animals don't have consciousness and it's not that they don't choose. They're choosing out of unconditional love to work with us in a way that perhaps by seeing such acts of cruelty over and over again, we will one day finally wake up and stop it. And so the idea is that the animals in a way are willing to go along with this to a certain degree, not that it has to happen, but they're willing to go along with it so that maybe one day there'll be one straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, and we'll finally say, you know what, that's enough of that, and we'll put a stop to it. A lot of times Bashar talks about the idea that we will bombard ourselves with negativity to such an extent that we finally get so sick and tired of it that we stop doing it. And so if that's the only way that it'll work for us because we're so disconnected, then that's the way we'll do it. But in his eyes, one day, we will take that step and we will suddenly wake up and realize we don't have to behave that way and that's really not in our best interest or in the best interests of any other being. Because when we start seeing ourselves as part of one whole reality and that we're connected to every other being and every being is worthwhile, then we'll understand that harming another being is the same thing as harming ourselves and hopefully that will be the end of that someday. Okay, and if you look at the humanity right now, it seems that I feel like there's a disdain or a, um, an unappreciation for intellect or curiosity. It seems like there are a lot of people that are completely immersed on their cell phones. They're immersed in the consumerism. They're really disconnected from, mm-hmm. I guess, a lot of principles yeah. and ideals from previous generations, and it's the era of distraction. Yeah. And when you have that much happening at you and less people are questioning, how does that put them on a – trajectory, humanity on a trajectory to actually break through this because I almost feel like if the same knowledge and information being presented today was being presented to earlier generations that had the capability of thinking for themselves a lot more, there'd probably be a better chance to break out of the cycle. It seems like we're just going deeper into the hole, collectively speaking. Well, I think it's a matter of perspective because in actual fact, in my experience, I see more and more people breaking out. Even though I know we are surrounded by a lot of disconnection, I actually experience that there are more people waking up. And so to me, the idea is also that it doesn't take as many people waking up to outweigh energetically the people that might remain disconnected. Because people who are disconnected are operating in an isolated sort of negative energy, disconnective, segregational energy, and it's not it's not compounded in the same way that if you have a smaller group of positively oriented, awake, aware individuals, because positive energy is integrative and exponentially expansive, it doesn't take as many aware individuals to, in a sense, outbalance all the negative ones. So to me, even if there are fewer positive individuals, there are more than there used to be, and that can still tip the scales and propel us in a direction where, at the very least, not that they have to choose it, but there is more opportunity for disconnected people to be aware of the fact that there are other positive choices that could be made. I mean, even the example of you and I having this conversation, I mean, 20 years ago, this would have been unthinkable. 
now at least people understand there are such things as channelings. People understand that there is a spiritual movement. People understand that it's possible we may encounter extraterrestrial civilizations now, and they take that more seriously than they used to. So I choose to look at that as positive signs of growth. Okay. And as far as context of those civilizations, has Prashar ever talked about Earth actually experiencing an invasion or having some massive, undeniable no. encounter? No. Encounter, yes. Invasion, no. No. Encounter, okay. definitely. We are heading toward open contact, and he has said that there is a potential window for open contact to begin slowly between the years of 2025 and 2033. It still depends on what choices we make, and they're helping guide us, but he has said that that window right now looks the most likely where somewhere in there, at least the very beginnings of open contact, could possibly occur. Okay, and I don't know if this ever brought to your attention, but is the reason why we haven't had more encounters with alien species is because they are existing alongside of us in parallel realities, like there are actually other life forms and beings on Mars and Venus, but we just can't see them because we're in a different dimension, or is it because there actually is that distance of physical reality that we're all existing in the physical plane existence, and we cannot access each other because we're too far apart? No, distance doesn't mean anything to Bashar's people or extraterrestrial civilizations that are on the same advanced level as his. They have okay. a completely different way of getting places than we do. Um, but at the same time, yes, they do exist in a parallel reality. And so in other realities, it may be that there are planets in our reality that seem unpopulated that in other dimensions are. Nevertheless, Bashar is not coming from within our solar system, and most extraterrestrials are not coming from within our solar system at any on, on any level. But nevertheless, um, it is an issue of frequency. It is an issue of being in the right state of being. In order to be able to accept the vibration of beings that exist at a completely different frequency level. And so the information that Bashar is delivering to us has dual purposes. Not only is it to help us integrate our own beings spiritually, but it's also to help raise our frequency to a level that's closer to the vibrational level that they exist on so that we actually have more opportunity to interact and perceive each other more, more directly. Okay, so you think that it's because, collectively speaking, the Earth is at a lower vibration or not at a higher vibration enough to the point where people can actually visually see these entities or, or beings that are here or could be near here? Yes. Is that the reason why? Not? Okay. Although Bashar has also said, strangely enough, that many people have actually had contact on another level. They just don't remember it because they're made to forget, in a sense, and the rate at which we actually naturally start remembering we've already had certain kinds of contact, they use it as a measuring device to determine when we're actually ready for more conscious contact. Okay. You know, before we go into some of the principles, Char, mm -hmm. I would like to just go in a couple more questions about uh, nature reality. Sure. If a celebrity is very popular, and a lot of people look at that celebrity, and then one day they stop paying attention to that celebrity, celebrity's mm -hmm. fame ceases to exist. It's like this particle observation theory. I can't recall exactly where it was from. But in our world, if a certain number of people stop paying attention to an ideal, whether they willingly do it or they happen to die 
and no longer exist to put the physical presence out there, mm-hmm. is that going to be the ultimate way that humanity changes? Are we going to either change or grow and evolve through lack of participation and observation or through death? And if so, is death of millions of people through some kind of cataclysmic event a catalyst to a lot of change in the world just because of the lack of people participating and holding those once-held ideals up to perspective now. Well, you know, you're asking a very multi-level question there, oh, sorry. to which there are many different ways that that can be okay. answered. Um, but generally speaking, I'll start in my response by saying that one of the things Bashar has talked about is that we never actually change the world we're on. There are an infinite number of parallel versions of Earth and the shifts we make within our own energy actually shifts us to other versions of Earth that are already more like the change we've made in ourselves. The other Earth still exists, but we no longer perceive it. And therefore, when people seem to leave our lives, that could be also that they've either shifted to another parallel reality or we've shifted to another parallel reality where we simply don't need to interact with any version of them anymore. Now, of course, according to Bashar, death is really just a shift to another level of reality, and it's not like people are really gone-gone. They're just in a different frequency that we can't perceive immediately. So it's a, it's a much more complex answer and has many different aspects to it than just sort of saying yes or no to what you asked. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. You know what? I remember you actually, the answer they gave, I remember hearing that answer when you were talking about the economic collapse or the global cataclysm that's happening, because we've actually covered the collapse on our show several times, wondering if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And if you have this world comprised of so many people, of so many frequencies, everyone can turn on the news. Everyone can look online and kind of see some of the same basic news stories. Are they perceiving people at a very high frequency? Are they perceiving negative news stories because those negative news stories in some way, shape, or form are a reflection of who they are? On a deep soul level, not you necessarily. Have people that are very compassionate. Okay. Not not necessarily. It's okay to observe a negative thing that has nothing to do with you because you've agreed to participate in a world that you can still neutrally observe that something is negative without being affected by it. Because you might be helping people who are negatively oriented by having a positive presence in that world. So just because you can observe something negative doesn't mean that it's a direct reflection of the fact that you have negativity to work on. It might be, but in many cases, if a person is positively oriented, that doesn't mean they will no longer see someone choosing negative things if they have agreed to participate in a world where they believe they can be of help in giving those negative people a different choice. Okay. And it would be possible to provide one example of what you just said before about, you know, if you're on a different frequency, you experience a different uh, version of the world. Um, so is it is one version of the world right now potentially uh, a nuclear wasteland? Because yes. Of, uh, tr- Anything okay. you can imagine already exists. Every possible potential, every possible history line exists in some parallel reality. What we experience is the product of our collective and individual agreements in terms of what we believe is the path that we need to experience that is best representative or most relevant for what we chose to investigate or explore in the theme we chose for this life. So there are individual agreements, there are group agreements, there are collective agreements going on, and each individual will experience whatever is part of the individual group and collective agreements that they have made to experience. Okay. 
Thank you. And uh, Dao, we're going to go into some of Bashar's basic principles. So, uh, many lifetimes of teaching. These are great. There, um, again, I want to let everyone please go to the website, Bashar.org. A lot of great information, and you have these 14 principles, and I want to read one of them. It is, you were created in the image of the Creator. Your essence is unconditional love, and the experience of ecstasy is your birthright. So when you're created in the image of the Creator, mm-hmm. who is the Creator a separate entity from you, or are you part of the Creator? Like, Would you say you are one of the eyeballs on the Creator? I would chance, say that. The, is more okay. representative. We can have the experience of separateness, but we can't actually be separate because everything is made of <laughs> that one thing. <laughs> so there's no way to actually be separate. And the irony is you can't actually have an experience of separateness unless you're actually connected to it because really? that's where all the power comes from to experience anything. <clears throat> so being connected to source, since it's unconditional, it allows you to have an experience of disconnection, but you actually have to be connected to have an experience of disconnection. That's the irony and the paradox. Uh, and number seven, it says you attract your life experiences through the interaction of your strongest beliefs, emotions, and actions. Mm-hmm. So as far as that goes, what are the fundamental strongest things that hold people in a certain vibration? What are the what What they have been taught to believe is true about themselves in relation to reality. So in relation to their experience of reality. So in other words, if somebody really has been taught to believe that they're an unworthy person and they're holding on to that for some reason and not letting that basic belief go, that's the blueprint that they're following. And therefore, their life experience is going to be colored by that. But if they start to understand that it's just a belief and not an empirical truth, then they can change their beliefs and have a completely different experience, even in what might seem to be a similar situation that they were in before. It's really what creates your perspective and your experience of life. It's like the belief is the blueprint, and then the emotions are like the builders that take that belief and start rendering it into some kind of a reality projection. And the thoughts that come from that are like the building materials. And that all equals what actions and behavior you take that are reflective of what you believe to be true. So anything that you see in your life as a behavior, as a thought, as a feeling that seems out of alignment or off kilter from what you would prefer to experience can be traced back down to what you believe to be true because that's the blueprint that starts the whole process. And therefore, if you have fear-based beliefs, you will experience fear in things. But if the fear comes up, you can easily ask yourself, well, what would I have to believe is true about myself in this situation in order to feel the way I do? And that's the beginning of the process of investigating and discovering what that belief is and letting it go if it's not in alignment with who you prefer to be. Okay. Um, what is the uh, likelihood of something manifesting quicker or manifesting at all? And I'll give you two situations. One, you have a great passion for a brief period of time or a great belief in something for a brief period of time. Mm-hmm. Or you believe in something eh, wishy-washy over a longer period of time. What has the greater chance of manifesting? What has the, um, the passion. greater chance of happening? The passion, the passion, definitely. Because, again, we're talking energy here. And and the idea is that if you really are passionate about something, passion itself, that experience, that feeling, excitement, passion, creativity, love, that is actually the body's physical translation 
not only of your core frequency, your true frequency, it's actually the physical mind's translation of communication from the higher non-physical mind that's attempting to guide you. So when you're willing to act on the things that contain the most excitement, the most passion, you're actually answering the higher mind and saying, yes, I hear you loud and clear. This is what I need to be doing right now. And if you act on it, that willingness then feeds back to the higher mind and says, okay, because you hear me, because you're willing to act, and because you're now aligned with your true energy, I can give you more. And therefore, things can happen faster. Manifestations can happen bigger than you might have even imagined because you're in that frequency or in that flow of your natural self. There's less resistance, and therefore, things can manifest more easily and more quickly. What about anger? What if um, you know some people you know, they they drive in a car, they get upset, and somebody cuts them off, or they have experiences through where things are kind of emotion emotionally provoking them, and they they get these fits of rage, and you know it just happens, and it kind of goes away. They just they, you know they kind of blow off steam. Is that healthy for them to get angry? Kind of it get can anger be. Out? It can be. Bashar has said that natural anger usually lasts only about mm, I don't know fifteen thirty seconds at the most, yep. and what it is is simply an alignment within you, an energy alignment and a recognition between what you do prefer and what you don't prefer. Now, if it lasts longer than that and goes into rage and judgment and criticism and all that, now you might be dealing with beliefs that are unconscious that you're holding on to, and it's bringing it to your attention that you might have these beliefs. Because if you didn't, you would probably not really hold on to that feeling that long. Okay. I, I know some people work with the uh, – they're very get upset about the animals, especially when animals suffer. We're very passionate about that. So, right, but there's a difference between passion and anger. Oh, anger. Right. Just angry, angry at the whole situation. Yeah, on. I mean people have to be very, very aware and capable of discerning the difference between excitement and anxiety because many people are afraid to look at the things that are causing the anxiety in them. And therefore, they'll sort of gloss it over and say, oh, no, no, I'm just excited about this, when in fact, they're not being truthful with themselves. And they really are experiencing the result of deep anxieties and deep fears, but they're afraid to look at them. So by going into denial, they'll just call it, oh, well, this is my passion. I'm just being passionate, when in fact, there's something there they need to look at. There's a big difference between the actual energy of excitement and passion and the energy of judgment and rage and anger. Thank you. And uh, I had to say, of all the principles that are on, number 10 stands out on my line because I think this is the one thing that I want everyone to hear these words carefully and think about them the next 50 showers. Number 10, <laughs> there is actually only one moment in creation. Everything you experience is the same moment from a different point of view. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's all happening now. And uh, what okay. we call time is simply a side effect. And. It's a side effect of our consciousness shifting through billions of parallel realities, billions of different perspectives of the same one moment every second. And in order to have the experience of a space-time reality and a, an experience of process, we just have to shift our consciousness to look at things that way. But it's all the same moment. Everything is here. Everything is now. It's all one thing. And everything we consider to be a different thing, including time and space, is just different perspectives of the only thing that actually exists, that one thing. Uh, thank you. And a couple of shows ago we had on Nancy Dennison. She talked about her near-death experience, and she mm-hmm. talked about um, everything all coming from a source. We're all one being right. she calls it source. Right. And um, from your perspective and Bashar's perspective, do you think that we're actually – 
evolving, growing to the point where we're going to become our own source, our own creator of our own multi-dimensional universe, the same from which we are a part of right now? Do you well, think that at some more, point in time we're going to evolve? Yeah, more precisely, we already are that. The evolution is becoming more aware of that fact, not becoming that, because we already are that. We are having okay. more awareness of that fact. That's the evolution. All right. If all things have already occurred, past, present, and future, what's the purpose of, of existence? What's the purpose of existing or experiencing life on any different form? Because the experiences haven't happened. The structure exists and never okay. changes. What changes is your perspective and your experience of the structure that never changes. That's how creation okay. grows, through the different perspectives and the experience that goes with them. But the structure already exists. Now, do those perspectives change the different dimensions based yeah. on time? And also, is time only relevant for this dimension? Is, is time irrelevant in other realities in other dimensions? There are dimensions in which time is relatively irrelevant, but there are there are aspects of it to some degree, but I think they're experienced in a very different way. Um, obviously, let's say, for example, in the spirit level, as we've heard from near-death experience reports and and mediumship from spirits that are <clears throat> in that level, you can experience things that are sort of seemingly a time-based experience, but at the same time, no pun intended, you can also instantly change things. So it's almost like saying there's a lot more flexibility as you go up the different levels, but it doesn't mean you can't experience the idea. It's just that physical reality is almost the very definition of the let's say, most crystallized experience of space and time, whereas the higher levels, it's more flexible, a lot more flexible, and certainly there may be dimensions that are truly timeless. Got it. Thank you. And sure. Uh, sorry, Dar Daryl, as far as your own private sessions go, when you work with someone, what are some of the things that you'll work on a person, and do you have uh, natural psychic ability? Do you have have your abilities to perceive information grown since your experience with Bashar? Yes, definitely rubbed off on me, and I okay. find that I do have, A, more synchronicity, more psychic awareness of things that are sort of about to happen. Um, but in the private sessions, I mean, they're private so that people can really come and talk about more personal issues uh, with Bashar for an extended period of time beyond what they could ask in a public event, and to work on things and really get deeply, uh, you know, deeply investigate the concepts and principles so that they make them their own, so that they really can wrap their minds around them and understand how to apply them to get an effect uh, in a more effective way. So. You know, people will, will bring all sorts of, you know, personal relationship issues or this is what's happening with my job and uh, this is what's happening, you know, in my life or, you know, what kind of things should I be looking at within myself. They help, you know, Bashar helps them investigate negative beliefs they may be holding on to that they're unaware of. All those kinds of things happen in private sessions. Uh, so it really just depends on the person and what they want to discuss with him. Sure. And when you challenge Bashar, what is the process? And does he does he come to you at any point in time, or is it a very um, deep process you have to go through to prepare? Well, I go through the process of what people recognize as a channeling in order for the thoughts that Bashar has to be translated through me into words that they can understand. If okay. I need something from Bashar, it's just there instantly telepathically. I don't have to go into any other altered state. The altered state is for the purpose of acting like a biological translation device for someone else to receive his thoughts. 
again, your life story is pretty interesting. Now you're at a point where you've got this film coming out. First yes. Contact is going to be narrated by James Woods, yes. you know, esteemed Hollywood actor. How did this come about, and what is this film about? Well, we finally got to the point where we said, you know, it feels like it's time to tell the story of how does someone become a channel. So that's my story of how I became a channel. Talk about these metaphysical principles from Bashar's point of view to explain what some of these are. I wanted to demystify the concept of channeling because a lot of people just think it's a very woo-woo thing. But in fact, every single one of us actually channels from time to time. Anytime you're doing something you love to do and you don't notice the passage of time, you have a peak performance experience, you're in a deep meditation, you're actually in the channeling state. It just depends on what you do with it from that moment forward. You can connect to other portions of your consciousness, express more creativity, connect with other entities, whatever you're geared to do. So I wanted to do that. I also wanted to explore the idea of what would the impact on our society be if we did have open contact with extraterrestrial beings, and therefore first contact is to some degree a tool to get people to start thinking about the possibility of how they would respond to open contact with an extraterrestrial civilization. Is there anything that you see as being the three biggest roadblocks to this happening? Because sometimes we tell people about what our show is about, and even if you, it's not just about the metaphysics, it's not just about spirituality. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you talk to people about aspects of critical thinking, and they look at you like you've mm-hmm. got three heads. So just from yeah. your perspective, what are some things that are, that are blocking this from happening? Well, education, basically. Uh, it's okay. a redefinition of things that they think they understand but actually don't understand because they've been given an incorrect definition of what's going on. One of the things that we did in the documentary, which I'm really excited to reveal to the public, because I think this is the first time this has ever been done to my knowledge, is I did a channeling session with Bashar where my head was wired to an EEG machine, a brainwave analysis machine, so we could see what's going on in the brain when I'm channeling, and is it different than my normal waking state? And what we discovered is it's profoundly different. So whether anyone wants to believe that Bashar is real or not, what we have scientifically demonstrated in the, in the movie is that channeling is a scientifically verifiable, actual altered state, very different from your normal waking state. So at least we hope that will open some eyes to the Man. fact that we are dealing with something here that's, that is a true altered state and that different things can happen in that altered state that they might not be aware of. In the course of your years of channeling Bashar, have you actually um, gotten to an argument with him and actually said, listen, you know, I completely disagree with what you're saying over here, and I don't feel that what this knowledge and information is productive. And also, have you um, had some personal um, issues where you're just like, you know what, I, I don't want to you know, facilitate communication right now. I, I have my own life. I've got to worry and take care of me. You know, I well, can't just be- I mean, first of all, no, there's never any argument. Okay. One of the things you have to understand is that when he's coming through, mm-hmm. I I can feel and see from their perspective. And when I can see and feel from their perspective, it's a profoundly different state than the way we typically look at things. And it just makes sense. They are telling us information that is not an opinion. They're telling us information about the fact that they can actually see the way existence works. So they're just describing what they see. And when you just pay attention to what they're describing, it really starts to make sense and you get it. So, and besides which, by applying 
the suggestions, by applying the information in my life, I actually can see that it does, in fact, generate a result. So I have my own empirical proof that the information works, and therefore there's no reason for me to doubt it because I've proven to myself that it actually does work when you apply it. Um, the and, okay. yeah, what was your yeah your other question was? I oh, know I didn't want to interrupt you. I, you no, I no, no, the question. Has Bashar ever talked about uh, any predictions? For humanity for the next five, ten, twelve years. I mean, I know. Well, I thought, he recent. Yeah, he. I mean, he yeah. rarely predicts because, again, he wants people to understand. See, here's another one of those definition things. From Bashar's perspective, there's no such thing as a prediction of the future. What okay. a prediction is is a sensing of the energy that exists at the moment the prediction is made. You're taking a reading of the present, and you're saying, "Look, <clears throat> here's the energy that is existing now. If you don't change the momentum." or the direction of this energy, these things might manifest. But if you do, they won't. So you have to decide, do you prefer what I'm reading or not? And in many cases, the fact that you're suddenly being told in the prediction what the energy is that exists right now, that alone can change the prediction. So even if somebody says, well, I feel this is going to happen and it doesn't come to pass, it doesn't even actually mean that the prediction was wrong. It may mean that the person who heard the prediction said, I don't prefer that. I'm going to change that, which is our ability to do. So the things that Bashar is willing to talk about as a certain prediction, so to speak, are things that he feels have so much energy behind them that they're probably unlikely to change, but he's still giving us an opportunity to make that decision for ourselves by bringing it to our attention. And so recently, yes, he has talked about the fact that he perceives that this coming fall, there are many, many things that could represent a very strong change in direction in our society, politically, economically, socially. He's looking at the fall of 2016 as a kind of a nexus point for okay. things that can change radically beyond that particular threshold. Now, he's talked a little bit about what he perceives uh, in those categories, but He's, again, not saying, look, this is a definitive thing. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. He's just saying, pay attention. You're going to see some potentially big changes in your politics, in your finances, in your social situations, and in your ecological situations coming up here. Pay attention to this. And if you prefer something else, do something about it is basically what he's saying. Okay. So that's, you know, it's it's very good to hear that. And, you know, I want to tell you, you know, you Given so much of your time, we just have uh, two more questions for sure, you. Sure, sure, um, no problem. But thank you so much. It was really, just really great. Um, what are some of the lessons or the most profound lessons that you've learned about your life or inside on life? Sorry, let me rephrase the question. Three, two, one. Daryl, what have been some of the most profound lessons on life that you've garnered with or without Bashar? What are some of the things that you can say for certainty that you want to pass on to people about your experience? Bashar's idea that one of the most important things to do is to really follow your passion has absolutely worked for me for most of my life. You know, I'm a perfect example of someone who has mostly done that in life. And I really have to say that if you understand that you're following your passion is actually being most in alignment with your true self, it will support you in life. I have always been supported by following my excitement and Bashar talks about doing that to the best of your ability. But the most important aspect of it is you have to have zero insistence on exactly how the outcome should look. Because when we insist on having a particular outcome, not that it can't happen sometimes, 
but when we insist on it, we think that we're laying out the ideal scenario, but in fact, in many cases, we're actually limiting ourselves to something that could happen even better by insisting on having a particular outcome be representative of the highest level that could happen. So by acting on your passion to the best of your ability every moment with no insistence on the way the outcome should appear, I have always found that I am always supported, synchronicity in my life increases, and that can work for everyone who's willing to understand that that's just how the machine works. And Daryl, last question is, if there is one quote that would define your existence of this life incarnation, what would that quote be? Be yourself. Because the most difficult thing you can do is try to be someone you're not. Be yourself. It is the path of least resistance, no matter what anyone says. Be true to yourself. Know yourself. Be true to yourself. That, in my opinion, is the best advice that will serve you for your entire life. Mr. Daryl Anka, I want to thank you so much. What a riveting interview. I want to thank you. It was really great. Really enjoyed it. To learn more about Daryl, please go to the website, Bashar.org. A lot of great information. You get updates. If you want to check out the movie First Contact, please go to the website, whatisfirstcontact.com. Daryl, thank you so much. Great pleasure, sir. thank you. I really appreciate it. My best to everyone. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our phenomenal guest, Mr. Daryl Anka, Channels Rashar. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lim, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Stellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, an abundance of love, an abundance of beers, and an abundance of joy. I'm stepping up the uh, mantra this time. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great week. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Fashion emergency hotline. Help. My mom doesn't think I need to go back to school. You have to go to school. It's the law. You didn't let me finish. She doesn't think I need to go back to school shopping. That should be a law. Go to Old Navy. You'll be voted best dress before school even starts. Old Navy? Yes. Right now, kids' clothes are up to 60% off. 60% off? Yeah. The hallway will be your runway. They have awesome graphic tees, colorful active gear, and jeans start at just $10. Now you're talking. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Valid 728-92. Select styles only.